Welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to I See You. This is episode 34, Learning to Receive. I'm excited to be here. The last couple hours I spent sitting on the floor potty training my toddlers, watching Elmo's Potty Time. If you haven't seen it, it's classic. And uh, just trying to get my toddlers excited about using the potty. So it's the best part of parenting, right, Ryan? Absolutely not. (laughs) We were the worst and still are the worst potty trainers. Yeah, they have six kids. They've done it a lot of times. And we've failed so often. I have Ryan Strong here with us, who is going to talk to us more in a minute about the subject of receiving. But first, Ryan, will you read us this week's review? Absolutely. This review is titled, A Therapeutic Experience, and comes from Hygeman. Higeman. Something like that. He says, Since I love podcasts, I thought I'd give it a shot. I'm now a fan. To give you an idea of what I See You is all about, the best way for me to explain it is this. Therapy. Julie vows to make the world a better place by offering advice and by believing that honest communication can solve many of the problems in our modern society. The last couple of shows focused on pornography and marriage, as told by people directly affected by it. It's brutal, honest, important, and similar to the other episodes I've heard. I should say that their views are very LDS-centered. She and I share the same religion, and those of us who are members of this particular church can relate to much of the topics and advice. But don't let this hold you back if you're not a part of this group. It's more about finding help, finding comfort, finding peace than pushing any religion. I would consider this a self-help podcast. I don't subscribe to many of those. I'm going to stick with this one. I find it admirable that people are still willing to put themselves out there, create content when they don't really have to, all in an effort to help others. If you feel this is something you'd enjoy, give it a shot. Like me, you may just end up being a fan. Pretty good. That is pretty good. You could be a movie... uh... Voiceover guy? (laughs) You can. That would be sweet. (laughs) I would love to be paid because of my voice. Thank you for that review, Scott. So Scott actually wrote an entire post about the podcast, which is pretty cool. And he's my favorite now, obviously. And he went ahead and copied and pasted part of that blog post for a review, which I really appreciate. I am going to leave a link in the show notes if you would like to go read that blog post. Just look in the show notes and I'll have a link to that. Scott and I, we do share the same religious beliefs. We're both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's not something I can hide. And and it's it's something I've thought a lot about, my personal beliefs. I didn't want to narrow myself specifically to just members of my church. However, I feel like it's really important to be authentic about what has helped me most. And that is a huge, huge part of my life. It's very much so a part of me. And so it's not something I like to hide because I feel like that would be against the, the very purpose of this podcast, which is seeing people exactly where they're at, sharing truth with each other. I really appreciate that you have felt that no matter where you're at with God, with your beliefs, that this is a place that is a safe place. And and everybody that comes on here, they're going to share their experiences, their beliefs, where they come at with life, the deal that they were handed and their experiences, how it's molded them. There is always a place for you here. And I hope you feel that. Enough of that. Ryan Strong, how do we know each other? I married your sister. Sorry about that. (laughs) 
And she's awesome. And do you truly marry the family when you marry someone? It's very true. You marry the family. Some people choose not to marry the family, but I think that just makes things harder than just marrying the family. Oh, I like that as a choice. Yeah, Yeah. totally. (laughs) Yes, he is married to my sister, Amy, who's kind of one of my BFFs for sure. So um, Mine too. Yeah. What? What? Jealousy. Yeah, it happens. (laughs) That's the problem with Amy Strong. She makes everyone feel like they're her BFF. They're special. So am I special? I think I am, but there's always a little bit of she does it for everyone. That's her superpower. That's her superpower. Yeah. What else can you tell us about yourself, Ryan Strong? We're about to celebrate our 13th anniversary, which is pretty cool. We have six kids. Joe, our oldest, is about to turn 12. And then our youngest is two years old. I myself grew up in a big family. I'm one of nine kids, a middle child, if there ever was a middle child. And I loved being a part of a big family. I was a teacher, a middle school teacher for three years, and now I am an instructional designer at BYU. I design online courses, still English, still high school and middle school. So I like to consider myself a well-rounded person. I really enjoy a bunch of sports. I enjoy reading. I like writing. I enjoy board games and video games. Tell us about the cool thing you do with board games. I have a small company, (laughs) very small. We call it Wandering Game Night, and... We find really cool places to host classy game nights where we have meals and prize giveaways and we just sit around and eat really good food and play board games. It's awesome. We've, so fun. We've done them at art studios and private car museums and famous authors' places. It's been really fun. Something that, that I really enjoy. I, I love seeing other people have fun. Is it wanderinggamenight.com? Go to wanderinggamenight.com and then type in... I see you. When we have an event coming up, you'll get an email and you can decide if you want to come or not. Sweet. Very yeah. cool. And I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes if people okay. are interested in that. Any awesome. gamers. It's a ton of fun. I love board games. So I love it. Yeah, it's a good time. We're going to talk about receiving and receiving at a very specific time in your life. Yeah. So will you start by telling us the story of Amy's diagnosis? This would have been in July of three years ago. We were up uh, at my family cabin in Bear Lake, Idaho. I was playing a board game with a bunch of family members. And Amy came in. She looked panicked. And she said, I I found a a lump in my breast. And we'd found lumps before, little things. And they'd never been anything. And even though I felt a shock, this could be real, I tried to reassure her that way and say, hey, you know, you've said these things before. But this was different. We went in and got a ultrasound of it. The shape of it was something that made the doctor was like, we should do a mammogram. It looks very possible that this is And Amy's 31? Yeah. She goes back to get the mammogram and the doctors say, is there any chance you could be pregnant? At first she was like, no, no. Well, sure. There's a chance I could be pregnant. I don't think I am, but there's a chance. So they sent us over to get a a quick pregnancy test at the outpatient services. And then she went back and I waited out in the waiting room. And as she described it, radiologists and mammogram specialists come in and they're like, we never get to tell people this. This is so exciting that you're pregnant. They were so sweet and happy. And she called me and told me, and then they did a mammogram and said, yeah, this is a tumor in your breast. So we found out on the same day that she had a tumor and that we were pregnant, which was crazy. They took a sample because it still could be a benign tumor. We didn't know what we were dealing with. Later that week, I was leaving work. Amy called me and she was hysterical. She could barely talk because they called and said it's breast cancer. 
She couldn't breathe. It was scary. I said, hey, we, we still don't know a lot about what this could mean. I'm literally getting into my car right now. I'll see you in 15 minutes. Ran home. She'd calmed down pretty well by the time I got there, but she was still on edge. And we went to see our family doctor. She's so awesome. Breast cancer runs in her family. So she had a lot of personal experience. So she started talking to us about it. And Amy went into shock, literally physically went into shock. We had to lay her down, let her breathe, elevate her feet a little bit. She needed just to rest. And I tried to direct the doctor, okay, you, you talk to me now. And life changed drastically from there. We had so many miracles and blessings. Life was busy and a lot of fear, but so much laughter and so much joy throughout. Amy is resilient and she is powerful. And she learned that she is resilient and powerful through this whole ordeal. Amen to that. You know, there's tons of movies and TV shows that show cancer. And one of the things they don't show you is how much waiting is involved. Mm. There's so much waiting for information. The week from the mammogram to receiving. I know a week doesn't sound like a long time. But when you're waiting for that information, a week is a long time. And then they do some tests and then you have to wait. Every time they do a test, you have to wait. I mean, it's just all waiting and it's rarely comfortable waiting. It's hard. That's one of the things that I remember and that I noticed in the moment. We have to wait for everything. We can't just do stuff. We decided to get a mastectomy. We had to wait a while to get the mastectomy, but we want this out of the body right away. So much waiting, so much worry, so much planning and scheduling. And I think more so with us because we were dealing with a baby and we were not going to abort the baby. We wanted procedures to be done carefully. And that was one of the amazing things that happened is the timing. They will not start chemotherapy with a baby until the mom reaches her second trimester. They won't start chemotherapy till X amount of time after you've had your mastectomy. Everything lined up perfectly. We were able to have a mastectomy, have enough time to heal so that right when she was ready to receive it after the surgery, we entered our second trimester and we could start chemotherapy. It was, it was incredible. And life for me got really busy and stressful. I started not sleeping. Which isn't normal for you. I would just lie in bed. And it's not even like the typical, like, I lied in bed and thought about all the terrible things that could happen. I just couldn't sleep. Sleep would not come. Hmm. I couldn't just lay down and close my eyes and go to sleep. I had to wait for exhaustion to take me. And Amy slept all the time because <laughs> <laughs> she was exhausted. And that makes sense. Tell us about Voldemort. <laughs> So We got to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of the things, right, that we just laughed at and had a good time. There are some people where you don't lose your hair when you have chemotherapy, and most people do. It started to fall out. And so we buzzed her hair, and we actually pulled in some of the older kids and said, hey, do you, do you want to come cut mom's hair? We're mm -hmm. cutting it all off <laughs> just for fun. They just did one cut, and it ended up being a real special moment for Amy and I that I cut her hair. We just had a great time and we kind of laughed about it. We buzzed it down tight and over the next week, two weeks, it all fell out. She was bald, like bald, bald, bald. Cue ball, shiny, bald. We had read a couple of the Harry Potter books to our kids. Amy had. I made the comment at one point, nobody gets Harry Potter read to them by Voldemort. Like, you kids are so lucky. And so they, they'd often 
call her Voldemort with her shaved head is pretty great. And she was lucky. She has a great shaped head, so she didn't look scary with the bald head. She was still gorgeous and beautiful. And and actually, lots of people commented on that. They're like, oh, you don't look weird. (laughs) (laughs) What are some challenges that came from having Amy be pregnant? You have five, almost six kids, and her, the mother, being sick. So there's a lot of the obvious challenges. Amy is a stay-at-home mom and has loved being a stay-at-home mom and has kept a wonderful house for us. She was homeschooling our kids. A lot of that stuff just became hard for her. I've, I've always tried to help out around the house. Not always the best at it, but I've always tried to help. But a lot of it started falling on my shoulders post dinner time. It was very lonely. Amy was always exhausted by then. She would go to sleep and I'd take care of the dishes and then I'd do bedtime. The harder thing was obviously on Amy. She would have surgery and then couldn't pick up her smallest kid because she had cuts all the way across her chest. When she was having chemo, she was weak and so she couldn't get down on the floor and play tag with the kids. I wish the listeners knew Amy because she's like the most involved mother I've met. Yeah, she... She gets down on the same level as her kids. She looks at them in the face. She treats them like equals. She is completely present with her children. She's an incredible mother. She really has enjoyed doing those things with them, and and that was hard. She was smart. She would try to build in some low-energy activities, reading with her kids, which she had always done, but she took a special care to do that. Once again, we're a board game family, and that doesn't require running around, so she would try and play games with the kids. How did your kids handle all this? They were amazing. We tried to just take a real upfront, honest approach with them. They're aware of cancer. They have a cousin who had leukemia at a very young age, so Mm -hmm. cancer isn't something that was necessarily new to them. And they were aware that it's a scary thing before we even brought it up. So we talked to them about it. The lucky thing is we had breast cancer, which is if you're going to get cancer, it's one of the best ones to get. Super high success rate. We could talk to them about it. Hey, look, we have a really, really good chance of beating this. There's a chance that it won't work out, but everything points to yes, mom's going to be fine. We were just really open, especially with our oldest three. Just tried to be real with them, especially when we went to get a mastectomy or one of the other procedures. We warned them, hey, when mom gets back, you can't hug her without asking her first. We're a rambunctious family. Mm -hmm. You cannot jump on her. You have to ask mom every time. There was a lot of challenge. There was a lot of communication with the kids. But I think because we were so open... And because we took every opportunity we could find to laugh and to have a good time, I think it helped the kids. There were some moments where our oldest daughter, we would find her crying in her room or she would come to us and just say she was scared. She was a little more emotionally mature and could communicate and feel those things. Do you want to tell us the brain cancer thing or do you think it's inappropriate? (laughs) It's just so funny. I don't think it's inappropriate. I hope it doesn't offend anybody. It was just at mealtime and it just came up that breast cancer was a pretty good type of cancer to have. One of my oldest said, it's not like brain cancer, huh? And it's like, yeah, brain cancer is pretty bad. And (laughs) kids get off on tangents and they were like, what if a zombie just ate the cancer out of the person's brain? Do you think that would heal it? And then they kept talking, well, then would the zombie get cancer? Would it get stomach cancer? Like, would the cancer spread? Like, it was this contagious thing. I thought Amy explained it to me. Atticus was like, if I had cancer and there was a zombie apocalypse, I don't want to have brain cancer because then they come and eat my brain and then joke's on you. Now you have cancer. (laughs) Yes. And that's great problem solving. We don't really swear or cuss in our family. And even during this trial, when we started swearing, we never swore for real. It wasn't like an emotional thing. 
just throw out a swear word. <laughs> and then we'd both laugh because we don't swear. Yeah. And then we'd move on. It was this great little like stress relief valve. And now that we're out of it, we don't swear anymore. Were there people in life that showed your family compassion or connected with you that made those experiences easier, that time easier? <laughs> That's a funny question. Yes. I feel dumb even asking you. It's so obvious, right? Yeah. I, I know you did. So many times. We just looked at each other and said, how do people without family do this? Or how do people who are alone do this? Because we were so supported in every conceivable way. And people made connections and they showed compassion. It's incredible to see the love that people have, sometimes for family members, sometimes for friends, sometimes just for perfect strangers. The first thing I want to talk about are the grand gestures. There were some pretty amazing things that people did for us that were big. One thing was this pre-chemo party that my sister-in-law threw for Amy. And it was this pink party. <laughs> Everything was pink. The food and the clothes. And there was pink hanging from the ceiling. It was just pink because pink is the breast cancer color. But there were friends and family, people who traveled to be there. And they just showered Amy with gifts. And it was just an opportunity for Amy to feel loved. Somebody dropped off a gift basket that had $750 in it. This was anonymous. Wow. A friend of Amy's parents heard about what was happening, and they hired some housekeepers to come clean our house every two weeks. Brilliant. Yeah. If you can afford it, that's the gift you should give somebody who's going through this. Yeah. Have someone come clean your house. Yeah. We had a great experience. We were having a family meeting in our living room on a December evening, and suddenly we heard these sirens, and the kids run to the window, and two fire trucks and an ambulance pull up. My son Atticus says, oh no, I think we're about to be arrested. <laughs> and they pulled up right into our house, and these firemen get out, and they start stacking, and I mean stacking, gifts. Each fireman, there was like six of them had a stack of gifts from their arms up to their head that people had just donated. This was one of these perfect strangers. The firemen do this every year. They scour the community and find families who could use some strength or some help, and then they go serve them. And we found out later that th these firemen had heard about our family from three separate sources, three different people, and they just dropped off so many gifts for our kids and for Amy, for the whole family. It was huge. Didn't it kind we of don't. become a joke with your kids where they'd be like, thanks for having cancer, mom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our Christmases are normally very, very modest. Uh -huh. The next year we're like, okay, kids, you remember last Christmas? <laughs> this Christmas is not like <laughs> last Christmas. It's a big deal. Hope you lived it up. Yeah. Um, another thing, Amy's sister, who lived in Memphis at the time, flew Amy out to Memphis after the mastectomy, before chemo, it just showed her a weekend. Just had a great time. Didn't they call it her make-a-wish trip? Yeah, <laughs> which is maybe not. Politically correct. Maybe not, fine. yeah. One of the things that was just so sweet, and I think it was a grand gesture, a neighbor did our laundry once a week for months. She would come pick up our laundry, take it home, wash it. Her and her husband, who is an ecclesiastical leader in this yeah. area, is so busy, would fold all the laundry that night and bring it back. Just amazing. A, a massive amount of compassion. There were hundreds of small gestures. And this is just a sampling of them. Meals. So many meals. Right when you get chemo, that next week is really rough. The women's organization in our church, every week following chemo treatment, they would bring us dinner every night. We received chemo for three months. Something that might be even better than bringing some freezer meals or whatever was gift cards. 
some people can't afford gift cards, so please still bring the meal. But a gift card made it so nice because then we didn't have to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) We had some home repairs done. People showed up, helped us with a rain gutter. We received so many text messages and phone calls of just well wishes. Somebody in our neighborhood did a heart attack on our lawn. They cut out these hearts and wrote kind messages on them and then stuck them all in our flower beds. They looked like flowers and we got to gather them up and read hearts, which was really sweet. A lot of people would call and say, what can I do? And one of the things that Amy often had to do was shopping runs. Hey, would you go pick this up for us? People dropped off cleaning supplies. People dropped off On Guard, which is a an oil which is supposed to help with immunity, which is really sweet. I have a book that I kept a list of. I think this was only for two months. 163 items of just things that people had done for us. And that didn't even see us through to the end. But what I wanted to do also was share some moments of this connection and compassion. One that I remember powerfully was my oldest brother called me. I have a great relationship with all of my brothers, but Jason and I, our interests don't align tightly or anything. It's not like we're ever calling each other to say, hey, let's go do something or whatever, which is fine. We know we love each other. It's not like we're worried about it. But Jason is not a sentimental sort. He's not overly emotional and probably was thinking as I do in a lot of situations like this, I don't know what to do to help. And he called me and he didn't even ask if he could or anything. He said, we want to help with your finances. Will you communicate with me and let me know when you need help? What I felt from that was, brother, I love you. I don't know how to connect with you on some of these levels, but I know this is something I can do for you. Will you let me do it? He sort of spearheaded it. Many family members helped financially. And the really cool thing about this is we could have handled it financially. Not that it wouldn't have been hard, but we could have handled it. We have great insurance and we could have taken care of it, but it lightened the load significantly to just not have that one more worry. It meant a lot to me. We received a lot of anonymous money and I can't thank those people enough, but I also can't thank them. I never got the opportunity to look them in the eye and have that connection and say thank you. The title of this is Receiving. I learned a lot over these two years about receiving. I've kind of come to this point where I feel it's okay for people to know that you did something nice for them. And I think it might be even better because we get this connection. Exactly. I know that they see me. A friend in my neighborhood came over and knocked on her door and came in and said, can I talk to you and Amy? And he sat down and he said, I have a little money and I would really like to give it to you guys because I know these things are hard. And once again, we were being taken care of. We didn't need this money and we expressed that. And he said, I know, I'd still like you to have it. Would it be okay? It gave us an opportunity to receive rather than just take. We have a connection. He could have just dropped off the money and it would have helped us all the same. But now he's a good friend. He wasn't necessarily before. He was an acquaintance, but he wasn't a good friend. And now he became a good friend. I get to go up and shake his hand and give him a hug frequently. And that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't have taken the time to come by and look me in the eye and say, I want to help you. I think that's a big deal. Huge deal. I grew up my entire life in the same neighborhood and I had the same best friend for that entire time. I still call him my best friend. He is also not an emotional person (laughs) and has a hard time showing emotion. He called, I couldn't talk at the time, and he left a message. And it was very simple. But from him, that was a big deal. All he said was, I just wanted you to know I was thinking of you. And that can become a trite phrase in situations like this. I don't think it's as trite when it comes from somebody you know. You know what that means when you say that. I remember that being very meaningful for me. I went on a work trip out to Keystone, Colorado with a few friends from work. We went to a conference there. 
we got an Airbnb, this nice cabin, and we're having fun. Somebody brought a little Nintendo. We played games and there was a pool table there and we talked, had a good old time. You know, I couldn't sleep. And I was sharing a room with this other buddy. And at the time we were friends, but we weren't necessarily close. I just turned on my flashlight and read my book well into the night until I could fall asleep. And the next day, you know, he knew what was going on in my life. He said, I, I noticed you were awake. And I was like, oh, I didn't keep you up. And he's like, oh, no, I just woke up at some point in the night and saw you were still awake. I didn't go into it, but I was like, I don't really sleep right now. <laughs> yeah. And he could kind of feel the impact of that, you know. And the next night, he and I were playing video games. Everybody else had kind of gone to sleep. I mentioned at some point, oh, it's kind of late, you know. You should probably go to sleep. Once again, he didn't go into it either. But he's like, it's okay, I'm fine. And he just stayed up well into the night playing video games with me. He's never said anything about it, and I haven't said anything to him about it, but it was one of those connections. He saw something he could do. It was a big deal to me. He could keep you company because yeah. he knew you weren't going to go to sleep. He just stayed there with me. We didn't talk about anything serious or anything. Yeah. We just were there together. It just so happens we've been paired up on the same team now at work. He's become a really good friend. I really, really like and admire him. Culturally, at least where I live, people have a hard time receiving. They're very giving, as I've demonstrated, but they have a hard time receiving. And we had to spend two years receiving. We could have said no to a lot of these things, but a lot of them we needed. Or maybe we didn't necessarily need them, but they made it so much more bearable. So that we could have so much laughter and joy and stuff through this very trying and difficult experience. There are people who gave these wonderful things to me to my family. After everything was fine, I would try and serve them. Not not as a reciprocation thing. There was just an opportunity to serve. It wasn't a payback. Yeah. And they literally said no to me. And it crushed me. It was really, really hard for me. Because what were they saying about how I just handled the last two years? Exactly. And I know maybe that's not what they were saying, but how else am I supposed to take it when you refuse to receive something from me? Well, we've talked about that on this podcast before. There's no way for that to not mean that you see receiving as a little bit sign of a weakness. No matter yeah. what you say, if you are not willing to do that for yourself, but to someone else you think it's okay, there's a teeny bit of hypocrisy there. And, and we all have it in us, right? Yeah. But we need to recognize it and we need to fix it. I'm still not perfect at it, but it's something that I've learned to do. And I know this sounds weird. It's a weird way to look at this situation, but I've learned how to receive. I have also learned the difference between receiving and taking. There's a nuanced difference between somebody who receives and it's this grateful thing and it uplifts both parties. Yeah. And someone who takes something. It's a selfish and it's an entitled thing and it doesn't really help both people. Yeah, it like feeds obligation and entitlement and resentment. Absolutely. I've really focused and worked at trying to be a better receiver. And I'll tell you where to start if you want to start working at this. How many times have you offered a compliment to somebody and they won't receive it? They're like, oh, no, that's that's not true. Or, or they downplay it or something. Mm -hmm. That's not receiving. Just smile and say thank, thank you. you. That's all it takes. That's the base level of receiving. Well, let's give them a, a little example. Ryan, I like your shirt. Oh, Thank you, Julius. Good job. Thank you a lot. It's that simple, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it should be that simple. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to believe what they're saying. You should because people rarely give a compliment just to be fake, and be fake or yeah. something. Just smile and say thank you. It's not a big deal, but it becomes a big deal. And it'll open your life up to start receiving. And on the reverse of that same coin, to have empathy for others, to start giving also. 
They're two sides of the same coin, and they will enrich your life, and they will enrich other people's lives. To give and receive. It's just a beautiful part of life, and if you don't do one, then the other suffers. One of the things that I learned, and Amy learned, we've talked about this, it's so nice to do things for people who are suffering. But there's also kind of boundaries there that we learned. When someone who didn't know us came up and tried to have this moment with us, Sometimes it didn't quite work because... You didn't have the relationship before. Yeah, right? and it felt weird for them to try and connect with us on this intimate way because they didn't know us before. I learned that when I see people suffering, I've got to approach it in different ways. If it's a good friend of mine, I can reach out and try and have an intimate moment. But if it's someone who maybe I'm a little more separated from, take the opportunity to express some sorrow, some empathy... But be careful about trying to get too intimate too soon. And it's not helpful. Tread carefully, be open, and feel out those relationships before you just dive in. That doesn't contradict what I talked about earlier, where have a connection when you serve somebody. But what is the thing that you're doing for them? Or what are you expressing when you do that? And find the right area for the person you're working with. It reminds me of, I think it's episode 24, where David Wetzel talks about when he lost his son to SIDS. And he talked about this exact thing. He said, if you want to hug someone, ask them, hey, can I give you a hug? There you go. Yeah. We, all of us, we try and be patient with each other. But he talked about how sending a card, I don't think is ever over the top. It's send not a card, that you, send a text. Right. Yeah. It's not that you don't show up. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you need to find a way to show up for these people. He said, I don't think it's necessary to make a relationship that wasn't already there all of a sudden. Absolutely. That it, can be very draining, mm -hmm. actually, for the person and not helpful. I often feel very fake. And I'm not saying this happened a lot. They're just good, better, best ways yeah. to handle these things. I would also recommend, as I said before, maybe don't be anonymous. Yes. I think anonymous can be really fun at Christmas time or something. Hey, drop off a gift and run away. When you're trying to support someone, it's so sweet to get the money, but it's so much more meaningful to know who it's from and to know, oh, this person is looking out for me. Not some nebulous person is looking out for me. This individual, this family sacrificed to give me a little money or sacrificed to make me a meal or to give me this gift card. It just blessed our family so much and was a continual source of strength for Amy through this whole thing when people, individuals, connected with her. And like you were saying before, sometimes even just through a card, through a text, through a note scribbled on a piece of paper and left on the door, those things were so strengthening to her. Also, lots of times the gifts were reminders to the kids and we could say, hey, so-and-so left this gift for our family. And now our kids are also joining in on this. So meaningful. I would recommend not being anonymous. Recognize that someone with a physical illness, I'm just going to say cancer specifically, that person is so tired. Showing up randomly to knock on the door to try and chat them up for half an hour, 45 minutes, might not be the best plan. Send them a text and say, hey, I'd love to come talk to you. Would now be a good time? If they say yes, great. Otherwise, you've shown your love and they can say, you know what? I'm about to lay down for a nap. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Let's try it another time or something. You still haven't lost this moment where you expressed the interest to be yeah. part of their life. The other possible issue with cancer is she could be immunocompromised. So showing up at the house might not be a wise idea because who knows what you're carrying or whatever. Be brave, but be appropriate. Yeah. Don't not show up. Ask. How do you see and show compassion for people with children? Child care. Once again, this needs to be an appropriate level because if you're removed from the family to just show up and say, hey, can I watch your kids? Not going to fly, right? 
But if you know the family well and they know you, offered opportunities to watch the children so that they can have a break. That was a huge blessing and a huge deal for us when people we love said, hey, can we take the kids? And I could take care of Amy for a night and get ahead on chores in the house. Probably spoil your kids a little too. Yeah. Probably fun for them. Oh, absolutely. They kept coming home with gifts when they'd go out to people's houses and stuff. When someone gets an illness or gets cancer or something, that person kind of becomes a celebrity. And the other special people in that person's life can get side-showed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. I had no issue with that. I didn't even think about it. But there were times when people would single me out and they'd say, Ryan, how are you doing? The question I got most of the time was, how's Amy doing? And I loved that question because I love Amy dearly. She is my life. And so I wanted to talk about that. But there were individuals who knew how to take me aside and say, Ryan, how are you doing? My mom was obviously one of them. She was intimately involved with what was going on with Amy, but she would always take a moment to say, okay, what's going on with you? Are you coping? Are you handling this? That was a big deal. And I think something for people to look out for and something I've tried to look out for is, okay, so this person's suffering, but there are people who love that person who are going to be suffering because that person's suffering. What do we do for that person? And to be honest, I didn't need much. I was doing fine, but it made it easier to know that people would single me out. I want to know that if you had a need, yeah, there were places ask. to turn. You knew yeah. that there were safety nets underneath you, right? Absolutely. One of the other people who was great at this was just Amy. Amy would take opportunities. She'd say, okay, you need to go do something tonight, Ryan. You need to go have a good time. And she'd send me out. After her hysterectomy, I remember me and her talking on the phone and trying to make a plan for her recovery after that. We were talking about her coming up to my house and she said, you know, Ryan... He has this work trip and he's loved it every other year and he's trying to stay home and I just can't have him stay home. He needs it. He needs to go. And so we're like, what are we going to do? And so you brought Amy up to my house and it was crazy because my floors were getting done. So we were trapped in the basement. But I just remember thinking that's a wife right there. Yeah. That's a wife. I know that wasn't necessarily easy for you, but she knew that she would be okay and she needed you to be able to go take that time for yourself. That was pretty incredible. She had a lot of moments like that, not just with me, but with other people throughout her suffering. Well, she couldn't do a lot because she was so weak and disease was an issue and stuff, but she would reach out to people all through her ordeal. That's just who she is. I kind of would like to drive that point home about being anonymous and choosing not to be anonymous. I feel like when you know that someone has sacrificed for you, your relationship is never the same. I agree. On my very first episode, I talked to the listeners about coming home from Texas, staying with my sister, and I was, I mean, you remember. Yeah. It was It was crazy. It was a hard time. I wasn't like I am right now, right? No. I was a different person there for a while. Having you and Amy see me in that state, that has changed our relationship forever. Absolutely. It's deepened our relationship forever. Yeah. I feel that same way about other people that have seen me in my difficult times that have seen me emotionally. This is all I have to give today and it doesn't look great. Yes. Allowing myself to be that way in front of someone and for them to look at me in the face and love and accept me from there forward. Your relationship is sacred forever. And so when we serve someone in that way, people might choose to be anonymous, maybe sometimes even a little bit out of they don't know what to say and it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit easier to just drop some cash off. And not that that cash isn't appreciated, but to lean in to something uncomfortable. And like you said, it doesn't mean you fake a relationship, but to lean in and say, I am thinking about you and I want you to know that and I'm handing this over to you, whatever it is it will make you a better person. If you choose to lean into the uncomfortability, because our culture right now, holy cow, we do not have a hard time being disconnected and isolating ourselves. This is just one more thing where we can break that isolation and actually notice each other's lives and acknowledge I'm noticing your life. Make a connection. (laughs) Make a connection. 
If all you can do is be anonymous, okay. Still, that's better than doing nothing. So sweet, so incredibly sweet. But you're missing out on a relationship. Yeah, wholeheartedly back that up. And it gets back to which I know you've talked a lot about on this podcast, and that something you personally subscribe to, and I do too, is just the vulnerability of that, of both sides of it, of being willing to receive. I'm vulnerable. I will accept this thing that you're giving me, and you being vulnerable, saying, "Hey, I care about you." a hard thing for a lot of people to say. I care about you, so I'm doing this thing for you. Or can I do this thing for you? That open communication and open vulnerability strengthens people. Once again, as you're saying in this world of isolation, hardness, we're taught through media and everything to be hard and to be unfeeling. It's fine to be vulnerable and show I'm not perfect, but I care about you. When you dropped off Amy and you were going on your trip, I remember one of you ended up sharing with me later that you actually said to Amy, Julie's looking a little skinny to me right now because you know, because you lived with me when I was really, really depressed, that I stopped eating. Yeah. And you shared concern of, is she doing okay? Because for whatever it was, I was wearing some baggy clothes. I was doing okay. Yeah. I was doing great. Yeah. I remember that you were after the time, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But But your thought was, ooh, is she okay? And I remember being able to reach out to you later and be like, hey, I'm okay. But honestly, all I felt was he knows me. He sees me and he's worried about me because I'm his sister. We'd worked on that relationship before and we'd chosen to be vulnerable for each other. Absolutely. But it may have been stronger if I'd just expressed that to you instead of trying to go through Amy. But Amy knew she was fine to express what I'd expressed to her. And I remember receiving your text that you sent, hey, I'm fine. Thanks for looking out for me. Yeah. Yeah, It just felt love. It was just a moment. It wasn't uncomfortable, wasn't it? And it was so short. That was such a short interaction that you're describing. It was. It wasn't Um, a big deal. It wasn't dramatic. On either side, but it connected us. If there's someone listening that is struggling because they're dealing with maybe some difficult medical news, as that's kind of what we've been talking about, what would you tell them? The first thing I would say is go to work. Whether you're the supporter or the supportee or a member of that family, there's going to be work involved in this. That's both physical work and emotional work. It's going to take concerted effort to get through whatever this thing you're dealing with and be better on the other side. If you try to coast through it or if you try and shut down, it will break you in ways that you might not even be aware of. You'll come out and you'll be harder rather than be soft. Sometimes that work is your salvation. Personal experience, uh, you know, we were really scared about disease while Amy was going through chemo and she was falling asleep at seven or eight o'clock and I wasn't sleeping. One of the things that I would always do before I'd go to bed is I'd choose a room and I'd get out Clorox disinfectant wipes and I would wipe down the entire room. The house was quiet. It was just me alone with my fears and my insecurities just wiping out disease. And it was quiet time for me to do work to help my family, but also just to be alone with my thoughts. So the work was a great help to me to take moments to just do something that helped us, but also like to just sort of lose myself in that for a time being. Do the work. The other thing is find fun. I'm not lying when I say we laughed a lot through cancer. We had a great time. It sucked so hard. It was the worst, but we had so much fun and we laughed and we joked both. If you're the sick one or you're the supportee, you need to learn how to not be so serious about the whole situation. I know that's hard for a lot of people. They can't just release. And I can understand why that would be hard for somebody. But one of the reasons we had such a great experience through this was how well we were supported and how much we just released and just had fun and cussed 
and <laughs> Voldemorted and made jokes. About zombies and brain cancer. About zombies and brain cancer. And we had to do one mastectomy at the beginning and then we took the other one as a preventative measure after everything was done. We couldn't do them both at the same time because that would have been too hard on the baby and stuff. My wife doesn't have breasts, you know? We joke about that all the time. <laughs> yeah. We try not to do it in front of the kids or in front of other people, but Amy and I... Whatever. The other night, he was like, did you just look down my shirt? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> and we all stopped for a second because we're like, hey. And then we're like, okay, that's actually oh, that, really it's funny. It's kind of funny. It's yeah. pretty funny. Well, that's because we have a good relationship yeah, yeah, with yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an optimist at heart. And I believe, and I'll even promise you, that things will go better if you can find the fun. We had that big pre-chemo party I told you about, right? And it was actually an all-girl party. I wasn't allowed. I showed up at the end just to thank people and to help clean up. We got home. Amy was getting ready for bed or something. And I'd unloaded the car and put everything on our kitchen table. And it barely fit. We have a pretty big kitchen table. Just gifts. And literally the entire thing was just full. One of the things on there was this big wood sign that my brother Jesse, he got the wood and beveled it and made it look nice. And then his daughter, my niece Jossa, did a real cool painting on it and wrote a really cool lettering. Be still and know that I am God. Even if you're not religious, I want you to think about the effort that they went through to make that sign for us. Just think about the effort, because that's actually what I thought about when I saw it. Even though I do believe in God, and that message meant a whole lot to me throughout this ordeal. I stood there, and I don't cry. And I don't mean that as a manly thing. I wish I did cry more. I don't cry very often. But I just stood there, and I saw that sign surrounded by all these other gifts. I was still in that moment. I cried. I didn't bawl. I just had these few sweet tears of gratitude for all these people who've done this thing for us. Take moments to just be still and think about the good things in your life. Because it's going to be really easy to think about all the bad things and all the bad things that could happen because of this illness and all the bad things causing you so much pain. It's present. When you're ill, it's omnipresent. It's there all the time. So you don't need to put forth effort to think about it. Put forth effort to think about the good things. Be still. Be grateful. I know it did help me and I know it helped Amy. So one thing you forgot to mention at the beginning of things you do is you actually sing. I like to sing. You're all right. James Taylor, still your favorite? Absolutely. Thing? Yeah. Number one artist. We're actually going to have you sing a song impromptu right now. We just uh, You're just doing it. That's who Ryan Strong is. It's called After All. It's by a, an acapella group called Idea of North. Our brother and sister-in-law had a stillborn daughter. If you listen to the pornography addiction series, you hear about their daughter oh. with leukemia and stillborn. Yep. And stillborn Kate. They asked if I might sing at the graveside service. And this was the song that I thought of almost instantly. And so I sang it at her funeral. And then a few months later, my youngest sister uh, had a stillborn son, Theodore. They asked me to sing it there too. So it has a lot of meaning for me. So no pressure, right? No pressure. 11 p.m. at night. This is when always the good things come out, right? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> the brooding ghosts of Australian night have gone from the bush and town. My spirit revives in the morning breeze Though it died when the sun went down 
The river's high and the stream is strong and the grass is green and tall and I fain would think that this world of ours is a good world after all and I fain would think that this world of ours is a good world after all. The light of passion in dreamy eyes and a page of truth well read. The glorious thrill in a heart grown cold of the spirit I thought was dead. A song that goes to a comrade's heart And a tear of pride let fall And my soul is strong And the world to me Is a grand world after all And my soul is strong And the world to me is a grand world after all. It well may be that I saw too plain, or it may be I was blind, but I'll keep my face to the dawning light, though the devil may stand behind. Let the darkest side of the past be dark And only good recall For I must believe that the world, my dear Is a kind world after all My heart grows brave and the world to me is a good world after all. Thank you, Ryan. Of course. As always, if you want to support the podcast, there are a couple ways you can do it. You can leave a review. You can rate it. You can also go to the website, icupodcast.com. You can buy some cute apparel, which I'm wearing right now. Uh, it's, it's super cute. It really is cute, right? Yeah, I it's like good it a looking, lot. right? Yeah, the baseball suits. That, that's what I was going to say. Super on men and women. Yeah, every time. They're very nice. Yeah, you can buy some apparel, and there's always free shipping on that. Or if you would like to and are able to, you can donate directly to the costs of the podcast and just the mission of, of the website and what I'm doing here. And one of the best ways you can support it is to share it with someone else. Yes, thank you, Ryan. Just say, hey, try out this podcast. My name is Julie Lee. My name is Ryan Strong, and, and we, we see, see you. you. <laughs> <laughs> and we receive you. <laughs>